This is the Frogs of War podcast. Woo! Live. University pub. Back at our normal time. Normal time, normal place. It's good. Everything is good. Life is good. I'm Jamie Plunkett. I am Melissa Trebowasser. And like I already said, this is the Frogs of War podcast live at University Pub. Tonight is sponsored by Wild Acre. Snapped. That was me. I was doing a visual aid for everyone watching. On That's Facebook. good on the You're Facebook welcome. page. Snapped gingerbread beer. I haven't tried it yet. Me either. I'm a little nervous about it. I'm probably going to give it a go because I'm a team player, but I, 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 I mean, have a little bit of a nerve. I'm going to give it a shot. Yeah. I'm going to give Home Ec a shot. Sure. They watched Die Hard Monday on movie night, so that's, that's how you legit. know it's officially the Christmas season. We have Ginger in our beer, and they're watching Christmas movies, the greatest Christmas movie of all Die time. Hard. Of all time. All time. I saw someone, uh, so people are doing those top five, ask me my top five whatevers on Facebook and Twitter and all this stuff, and I saw someone who did their top five Christmas movies, and Die Hard wasn't on it. And so I went all in on them. Good. And I named them uh, as a bad person. Okay. And told them that they were wrong. Yep. That they needed to reevaluate their life. Agreed. Because as great as Elf is, as great as like a Christmas story is, or It's a Wonderful Life, or all those other like typical Christmas movies, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yippee Kaye. Die Hard is at the top. Do you know how else we know that it is the holiday season? Because it's cold as. Oh, also out. that, that it was 80 degrees on Monday and it's going to snow on Friday. But that is not what I was referring to. The way that you know that it is officially the holiday season in Fort Worth is the TCU Horn Frogs are preparing for a bowl game. And they that sure is are. basically a given under the Gary Patterson regime over the last 17 years. bowl games in 17 seasons. It's a bit insane. It's a little That's bit on crazy. the crazy side. Yeah. I saw Mark Cohen... TCU's wonderful sports information director tweet out earlier today. Who will retweet SB Nation tweets, but... Hey, he, he, but he tweeted out uh, that Gary Patterson in his 17 years at TCU, that is longer than every other FBS coach in the state of Texas combined, their tenures combined. It's ridiculous. Pretty insane. GP, the gift that keeps on giving. But in, like, the best of ways. Uh-oh. I don't want to mess with it. Sorry, Facebook people. I forgot to plug in the microphone. I'm gonna, I got it. I got it. Melissa's going to do that for you. We're off to a great start. But yeah, so unfortunately, or maybe fortunately if you're a Sooner fan listening to this, John, but um, TCU played in the Big 12 Championship on Saturday and didn't fare very well. We're, are we sure that we can't just skip past that game happening and start focusing on Stanford? I think we need to address. Okay, let's address some of the a couple things. things. That sure. uh, TCU loses in the Big 12 championship, 41 to 17. It was close at halftime. Uh, TCU really, it was a weird game. They had one good quarter. Uh, yeah. They they were down 17 to nothing after the first quarter. They outscored Oklahoma 17 to seven in the second quarter uh, to go into the half down 24 to 17, and then. Pretty much after that, it was just a 17 to nothing run for Oklahoma that ex- that spanned the entire second half. They ended up pulling away 41 to 17, and TCU really put up very little of a fight yeah. in the second half of that game on Saturday. And I just remember sitting there uh, in the midst of all of those OU fans because I was on the OU side of the stadium. They're very kind people, by the way. I had a great experience with the Sooner fans. Um, 
but I had nightmares for the last three nights about the the boomer boomer suit. Oh God, never leaves your head. I do believe that they win a national championship this year, which they have a good opportunity to do. That their gift to all of us is to learn a second song. I think their gift to the Big Twelve would be winning a national championship. I feel, and and here's why I say that because I think at this point. It's the only thing that's going to change the perception of the Big 12 sure. nationally is winning a title. And we had this conversation in the Slack channel the other day. I don't think that the Big 12 is going to get the respect that it deserves until a team wins a natty. And at that point, they're going to say, oh, well, yeah, of course, oh, you ran through their conference. They're a national title contender. Oh, well, maybe the second place team in the Big 12 should be in a New Year's Six Bowl. And not in the Alamo Bowl. I still don't want to have to ever utter the words or hear the words uttered. Baker Mayfield, Heisman Trophy winner, national champion. I would rather be disrespected for another six years and have to go undefeated to get in than have to say that to my children someday if I have them. See, I just wouldn't talk about it. <laughs> Avoidance. Just, just yeah. yeah. If it hurts um, you, just don't even look at it. But, you know, I, I think that when we look at and, and the first thing that I noticed is the same thing that happened to us in Norman is that we're so used to TCU teams coming out prepared and ready and having yeah. to make halftime adjustments. Yeah. Twice in a row now, these TCU teams have come out and started in the worst possible way. Yes. After the defense put up a pretty good fight against Bayfield that Sunero, held them to three points on a long drive, the first offensive snap of the game, Kyle Hicks is fumbles and it gets the scoop and score. So yeah. I don't know what it is about OU. I don't know if and, – and there is a part of me that believes they were that much better than anybody else that they played against, that Iowa State got them on an off day, whatever else you want to say, but that they were ultimately a better football team than TCU. I don't think there's yeah. anybody that's going to try to argue that that was a fluky win. But to come out and just shoot yourself in the foot on play one twice in a row, because in Norman it was the John DR's penalty that yeah. gives you first and 25. And then here it's the scoop and score, and all of a sudden you're down 10 nothing. And, and a lot of credit goes to TCU and, and Kenny Hill and Kyle Hicks, who picked it up to make it a close game at the half. But I never for a second thought, oh, i got to get back to my seat. we got a shot to win this one. Right. Yeah, and that was one of the things that I noticed is just that, I mean, the Sooners are just a better team right now. I think I tweeted it that they're just, they're just bigger, they were faster, they yeah. were better. Uh, but one of the things that I noticed, and it, it was the same case in Norman too, is just – how good Oklahoma's offensive sure. line is. Like, they, their size, but just beyond their size, just their natural ability and their, their, the way they work together as a unit. I mean, I don't think that many people would say that TCU has a subpar defensive line. No. I mean, you have yeah. Matt Bozen, who's getting All-American recognition, starting, like, with SB Nation's All-American list that came out. He's an honorable mention. Uh, you know, he's, he was PFF's... Uh, First team defensive end, uh, all American for the or for the Big Twelve or whatever, uh, and then you've got like guys like Ben Banigou who's still top five defensive end in the draft according to Mel Kiper this year. Like he's third best draft uh, defensive end on the draft board for Mel Kiper, and you've got guys in the middle like Ross Blacklock and Corey Bethley and Joe Broadnax and Chris Bradley yeah. and just you've got a wealth of talent. They couldn't do anything. They could do not a single thing. They got what like they pressured Mayfield maybe twice. Banigou had that strip where he just swung his arm around and got Mayfield at the right time to force that fumble that I think the center fell on for OU. The yeah. dominance of Oklahoma's offensive line set the tone pretty much for the entire game because the secondary couldn't, couldn't 
do it all by themselves. The linebackers couldn't do it all by themselves. I mean, for me, the, the big turning point of the game was when, uh, I think it was early in the third quarter, Mayfield snaps off a 54-yard run yeah. uh, and just starts dusting people. And it's like, that doesn't happen if he... And he's, he's a phenomenal athlete, sure, sure, but that doesn't happen if that offensive line isn't opening up yeah. massive, Huge massive holes. holes. And you've got so many other things to worry about, too. I mean, Mayfield, it looked like he was focused more on running the football. Yeah. Against TCU on Saturday, and, and a lot of people were kind of saying on social media that he needed to show that one last part of his game for, for the Heisman campaign. But uh, he had openings. He had opportunities. You know, Rodney Anderson was contained a little bit better um, yeah. by TCU in that game. The wide receivers outside of, you know, Mark Andrews didn't completely destroy the Frogs. Um, but that big tight end is, is a dangerous weapon, and I thought that he'd be the one we had to watch the first game in Norman. Uh, and it ended up that they didn't really use him much then. But they used them extensively and really, really effectively against TCU in game number two. And that would be my second thing is that you don't see a lot of tight ends in the Big 12 that are used that effectively. And so there's not a lot of ways to prepare them. And when you have a team that whose linebackers are small or don't have a ton of speed, you know, Ty Summers is the guy that you think has the size to kind of body up Andrews. But he can't stay with them as a runner. And so yeah. the Frogs really didn't have an answer for him, and I think that that's something they probably knew they had an advantage in, but they didn't need to use it in that first matchup, so they were able to save it for the second. And that's kind of the, the, the catch-22 of playing everybody, yeah. right? When you know your, your game is going to be a matchup, how do you, what do you hold back? How do you know what to hold back? How much do you show out when you know you're the better team? And I thought that Lincoln Riley really managed that well in his first opportunity as the lead man, he, he kind of had a game plan for both scenarios, and he was able to keep one under his vest because his team got out such a big lead in the first matchup. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think one of the things that I was disappointed in with TCU's offense uh, in this game, uh, two things, really. First of all, the play calling was subpar that again, and that's been a theme for the second half of, of the season is questionable play calling. Uh, I, I, I think it's important to remind people that this is Sonny Cumbie's first sure. shot at being a play caller full-time. Um, it's his first shot as being at being, like, the, the head guy in the room. And I think that's, that's important to note sure. just because a guy's going to grow. I mean, people, people criticize first-year coaches all the time, um, but if you give them a couple years and, and let them build on their plan year over year, you start to see some improvement. And I, I have no doubt that we'll see improvement yeah. from Sonny Cumbie, even in the bowl game, but definitely in 2018. Sure. Well, he, he's, uh, a, he's basically a redshirt freshman. Yeah. He got a few snaps his first year on campus. Yeah. He hasn't had a lot of opportunities to prove himself. Uh, and, and he did, had some really, really great moments, and he had some really bad moments too. But from everything we know about Cumbie and from everything that we've heard, he has an incredible work ethic, and he's going to be focused on getting better. I think it's an area where I doubt he's going to argue that he didn't give up to the best of his ability this year, and he's got yeah. a lot of growing to do. But it appears that he's poised and ready to do that growing. And with the rest of the offensive staff, including Curtis Looper, I think that they've got the tools there to improve that area. And hopefully a, a whole new complement of talented skill position players coming in here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, we're going to talk about them in a minute. can also make you look really good. Yeah, we're going to talk about some of those guys in a minute. But the other thing that I was disappointed in with TCU's offense was the fact that Kyle Hicks only had eight carries. Yeah. I, mean, I understand you get down 17 early, but after that second quarter where you're in it, you're back sure. down by only a touchdown, and then you come out in the second half, you throw six straight passes, the last of which is intercepted. Uh, what are we doing? Yeah. Give Kyle Hicks the ball. Like, it's not that difficult. Your yeah. running game was your was your first, like, your strongest punch all season long. Sure. You had Patrick Morris back in this game. He played very well at yeah, center. Yeah, he's outstanding. 
I don't understand why they got away from the run so quickly. Uh, I mean, K- Kenny Hill had 13 runs, but some of those were scrambles. Some of yeah. those were not designed. Uh, and the one that was designed was with seven seconds left in the second half when TCU settled for a f- or in the second quarter sure. when TCU settled for a field goal instead of kicking it instead of going for a touchdown. But anyways, that's about all we need to say, I think, about the Big 12 championship. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's time I, to move just, on and, and, and on to Stanford, as Bill Belichick would say. It is. Uh, it was interesting to me, though, and we talked about this last week in the podcast, too, that everybody kind of harped on the fact that the Big 12 championship was a rematch. Like, okay. They, they were all rematches. They were all rematches. Basically, I mean, you had Ohio or except for Ohio State and Wisconsin, um, which we that all and that ended the way we all thought it would. Um, but you had a rematch with USC and Stanford, uh, with USC winning a much closer game this time yeah. around. I think they beat Stanford forty-two to twenty-four the first time. This time they won thirty-one to twenty-eight or something like that. Of course, Stanford had a different quarterback in this game. They had KJ Costello, who's finished out the year for them. Been doing a lot of reading on him. He's a decent. He's a decent sophomore quarterback over there in the Pac-12. And then you had. Um, Georgia and Auburn rematch, and and Auburn obviously beat Georgia of like forty to seventeen the first time around, and Georgia comes back and obviously you know just beats them to win the SEC and and muddle up the top eight rankings spots like crazy, um, but Georgia's obviously in the college football playoff now. Um, then you had Clemson over Miami, which wasn't a rematch, but it was sure as heck. A one-sided beatdown. Yeah. 38-3, to three, I believe. Ooh. And that game. I don't remember. I think... But I don't, don't think worry. Miami's still in the top 12. Miami dropped three spots for getting whipped by 35 to a team that they hadn't played yet this year. But TCU drops four spots when they already had that loss on their resume, essentially. I am not great at math, admittedly, but that seems slightly unfair. Yeah. I think so. I mean, I'm biased, but yeah, that's a little ridiculous. But you know what's been pretty impressive is the, the way people have come over to Frogs of War, come over to Twitter, and to a person, everybody seems to think, hey, we got screwed. Again. As do the Stanford fans. Even yeah. the Stanford fans are saying, y'all should have been in over Washington, even over them. Most of them would say, you guys deserve the spot. I think so. I think so. But, I mean, the, the big frustration is obviously Washington getting in. Because oh, I'm frustrated as heck with that fraud of a team. Yeah, they're, they're bad. Fine. They're good. No, they're not great. They're I mean, they're, good. They're, they're mediocre. Good. They're good. De- they they're good defensive team. Here's the thing: they weren't good enough to play in the Pac-12 exactly. championship, and they're playing a team they that wasn't to good Stanford. enough. They and they're playing a team that wasn't good enough to play in the Big Ten championship. There are two teams that didn't even compete for a, a conference championship that are paired with each other in the was it the the Rose Bowl is Washington Penn State the yeah. Rose Bowl? Yeah, uh, no, no, no. That's uh, Oklahoma. They're a Fiesta Bowl. Washington oh, Fiesta. Bowl. That's yeah. right. Um, so we have two non-conference, like, like non-conference championship appearances, playing in a New Year's Six Bowl, and then you've got the Valero Alamo Bowl, which is featuring two teams that made their conference championship. Yeah. So if we're going to start penalizing teams for making their conference championship. I don't even know what we're doing here. Yeah, anymore. well, but, you know, but it's obvious that we should never have any intention of anyone knowing what they're doing because they make it up as they go along and they change the rules to fit their narrative. This is not yeah. surprising to us as TCU fans. Yep. 
Anyway, I we see could, that we're we could having some poetic for an hour on just how we got how the college football playoff is continues to be an absolute farce. But yep. I don't want to spend an hour talking about that because we've got far more exciting things to talk about here at TCU on the we positive sure side. Um, unless that's what you guys want to hear, because we know people do no. love to tune into that. I think we're good. But do you want to know? Uh, or here's a question for you, pop quiz. How many Big Ten, Big Twelve teams made a bowl game this year? I believe the number of that is eight. That is correct, eight. While it's not the most teams from a single conference to become bowl eligible, it is the highest percentage of teams overall at 80% uh, of the Big 12 teams qualified for a bowl. And the disrespect continues when you look at bowl matchups for the Big 12. Uh, Texas Tech gets hosed, essentially, in their bowl matchup. They're 6-6, and like barely bowl eligible. Took everything they had to beat Texas. Congratulations. You get 9-2 and two South Florida. Charlie Strong. Here we go. Uh, oh, Iowa State. You are bowl eligible for the first time in like a jillion years. Good job. You're 7-5. and five. You did a lot of good work this year. Here, you can go play in the Liberty Bowl. Go, go to Memphis and play Memphis. Memphis in their home stadium. 10-2 and two Memphis in their home stadium. Congratulations on your seven and now six season, probably. Uh, oh, you also have West Virginia, who actually got paired with a nice Utah team. That's a pretty good matchup. That's a good matchup, yeah. Kansas State UCLA is a pretty interesting matchup, and then Texas gets probably the hottest team in the SEC, not named Georgia, with Mizzou yeah. in the Texas Bowl. The most quietly good SEC team we've had because it's they, not often you can be good in the SEC and nobody talks about you. It's not often that you can start what one in six on the season and then make yourself bowl eligible yeah. in any conference. Yeah, one in five and one six straight yeah, to finish that's the right. year. It's ridiculous how like quietly good Missouri has been over the past six weeks of the season. Yeah. And they've got a heck of a quarterback, so it should be a yeah. really fun matchup with that Texas defense that I think pretty much everybody left the secondary to declare for the NFL. And about yes. half their defense is not playing in the bowl game. Neither is their best offensive lineman. So right. you're looking at a Sam Ellinger who has been just absolutely brutalized all season behind a bad offensive line, and no, having his lost. offensive line being worse. Yeah, they lost their best. They lost their left tackle. Yeah, and he was and he was out for quite a bit of the year. And I don't bl- to be you know to be clear here, I don't blame him at all with his injuries that he's been dealing with. He's projected as the first offensive lineman picked in the draft. He's a guy that is making a wise career decision, and I don't mind that because you're playing in a nothing bowl. Yeah, you know, I think if they were playing for something that mattered here, that w- there was some meaning, I think you'd see him stick it out. But at this point, for his career, now for some of the secondary players, I'm a little bit more surprised. For a couple of the corners that are leaving, I mean, make your own decisions. You know, you yeah. got to do what's right for you, and I'm never going to begrudge somebody that. But I just found it interesting with Tom Herman and his family atmosphere and everything that he preaches. How many guys are willing to cut ties and get the heck out of there before yeah. the first bowl game Texas has played in in four years? Three. Yeah. They went the to a bowl the Charlie first Strong's year first with year. Charlie. Yeah. yeah. And he was there for three seasons. Three or four seasons? Four. Four. So, four yeah, seasons. the three three years without a bowl. Um, yeah. So, the big – I mean, I would love to see nothing more than the Big 12 go at least 8-0. Yeah, at eight, least. Eight, you know, and then whatever happens in the national championship happens. But if, if the Sooners get there and represent the Big 12, I think that would be fantastic. I, I personally think Oklahoma has a phenomenal shot of Absolutely. beating Georgia. They're going to beat Georgia by double digits. I don't know about that. I'm calling it. Georgia's run, running game is so, so strong. Yeah, so but. So strong. But I think that Oklahoma's offensive firepower, you've got to have a quarterback that can make plays. And Jake Fromm is Kenny Hill. He's SEC good. Yeah, he's Kenny Hill. 
He can move a little bit in the pocket. He can turn around and hand the ball off to two great running backs. Their defense is good, but their defense hasn't seen anything like Baker Mayfield. Yeah. And that's why I love Gary Patterson's quote after the the Big 12 championship to Georgia, whoever they were going to play, have fun. Yep. This is, this is Kirby Smart's the toughest game he's ever had to coach, he's ever had to prepare for. They've seen mm-hmm. nothing like this Oklahoma team on offense. Yeah. So you can talk Big 12 defenses at all you want, but at the end of the day, we've seen what these Big 12 teams have done in bowl games, and I think we're about to see it again on the national stage. I think so, too. I think so, too. I, you know, if I had to look at, if, if I had to pick all of these bowl games right now, which we'll probably do in a couple of weeks, I would say Oklahoma State wins. West Virginia wins. Oklahoma beats Georgia. Six we beat Stanford. Six and two. I think Missouri probably beats Texas. Yeah. I think Memphis probably beats Iowa State. Kansas State, UCLA. I just have no, I have yeah. no freaking clue. If I, Kansas, think, it's, if I think it's State, six and two. If the Kansas State team that beat Oklahoma State shows up, then I think they roll UCLA. Other than that, if, if that team doesn't show up, I think it's close. Well, they have their quarterback now. He's going to be healthy. He got a little bit yeah. banged up at the end of the season. But sure. I think now that they know that that's their guy, that Scouter Thompson is their guy. Yeah. That I think they'll be in good shape. And it's going to be interesting to see what you get out of Rosen because, you know, again, this is not a big-name bowl game. He's going to the NFL draft. He's projected to be one of the top two or three quarterbacks picked, depending on who you believe. Yeah. Is he going to go all out? Like, he seems like a kid who will, but you can't help but in the back of your mind be thinking about what's next, and that's right around the time that you start to get all those projections in and the agents are beating down your door. He'll be on the banquet circuit a little bit, I'm sure, for some national awards. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what UCLA team shows up. And also, again, we haven't even mentioned, they'll have had a month with Chip Kelly. Yes. It could be good or bad. Who knows? Yeah. And But here's the thing. I mean, Kansas State just on Wednesday afternoon lost their offensive coordinator. Dan Dimmel is now the new head coach at UTEP. I did not know that. Yes. He got hired like uh, – we're this. it's 8.24 p.m. currently on Wednesday, December 6th. And that happened like three and a half hours ago. So It's been that kind of day. It's been that kind of day. Um, it's been that kind of two weeks yeah. for the coaching carousel. Oh, it's been unbelievable. It's wait, been ridiculous. Does, wait, does Tennessee have a head coach? Nope. All right, just checking. They're the only ones, it seems. I mean, if UTEP and Rice can hire a head coach before yeah. you. And good. They make great moves. Yeah. Both those schools. Rice, and, yeah. I mean, Rice pulled Stanford's uh, offensive coordinator away. UTEP pulls move. Dan Dimmel away. It's which fine. Yeah, it's, but it's, you know, it's a great hire for UTEP. Yes. Oh, for a team that just went 0-12? Yeah. Well, and, and you need a guy. What Kansas State has, how they've been so successful over the last several years is they're able to recruit JUCO kids. Mm-hmm. And UTEP, you are not going to get a lot of true freshmen with talent. You've got to go out and find JUCO kids to kind of build up that program, infuse some experience, infuse some size, infuse some talent. And I think Dan Dimmel is going to be great recruiting in that regard. You want to know what about, what's about to happen? You yeah. want to hear a great coaching sports prediction? Yes. All right, so... Chad Morris just signed a new contract with Arkansas. Mike Norvell has signed an extension at Memphis, which leaves the SMU coaching job vacant. What are the what are the letters in in SMU? S. Yes. M. Yes. U. Okay, now switch those last two. M. S-U-M. What did SMU do when they played TCU this year? They took an L, so add an L to that. Okay. I see where you're going with this. Sumlin. Sumlin. Kevin Sumlin, head coach of SMU? I I, I mean, that would be huge for SMU. 
How awesome be would that be? It'd be a huge win. Now, awesome he's going to be, be there for a year. Sure. So I guess it depends. Do you want to go out? Like, I'm a big fan, and his name is escaping hey. me, uh, the guy at UNT. If I'm oh, SMU, oh, that's yeah. who I'm targeting. Um, Seth Luttrell. Yes, I am targeting Seth Former Luttrell. Former OC at North Carolina. Yeah, because if you want somebody that's going to go and be there for four or five years, that's who you got to go get because he's another guy that's moving up the ladder. But you've probably got three, maybe four years out of him. Someone's yeah. going to be there for a year, which if you want to capitalize on the little bit of success you had in 2017, I guess you kind of take that plunge th- and hope someone good is still available a year from now. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I think if you're SMU and you're looking at the landscape right now and you look at the the schools that still haven't hired someone and the competition that's out there and the way that money is just getting thrown around this year, why not just say we're going we're gonna to bring Kevin Sumlin in. Coach, here's a two-year deal with an opt-out after one. Well, well, this is why. This is why I think you're wrong. I, I think it makes sense, which is why it won't happen to anyone that's ever been associated with the Aggies. Yeah. A, it's Kevin Sumlin. He's going to want some money. I know he doesn't need it. He doesn't need it, but he's going to want a little bit of money, and I don't know that SMU can make that kind of financial investment. B, there's another job that's open that fits the Kevin Sumlin profile, unless I missed this one too, over on the West Coast that has more money than God, who just lost their head coach to Florida State, and the swag copter will fit right in with Phil Knight and his money. I mean, yeah, because that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, a week ago we were talking about Sumlin being a lock to Arizona State and yeah. how good he might fit in, but hey, in but the hey, Pac-12. They got, they got Herm Edwards, who doesn't know what the jerseys look like now and forgot their mascot was the Sun Devils. But he plays to win the game. <laughs> Play to win the game. So that's all you can really ask of a head coach. He's going to be so in over his head. Herm seems he like already, a nice guy, but woo. He's already over his head. Hey, coach, it's uh, so-and-so here from Devil's Digest. Oh, where are you from, man? Uh... Right, right here in Tempe. Well, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a Catholic. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. So hold on with all that devil stuff now. I think I do a pretty good herm. A pretty good herm. That's a pretty decent herm. You play to win the game. No, that that okay. was wrong. That was like Southern Baptist preacher cross with her. Uh, I slipped into it. Sorry. Yeah, it happens. It happens. It's fine. It's fine. But you know, I. I, yeah, okay, now I'm stuck on Sumlin going to Oregon. I want that to happen. Well, and his I want is... Kevin Sumlin, Chip Kelly matchups. Oh, be beautiful. I want it. It's great. I think it, I think it makes a ton of sense. I think it's the right move for Kevin Sumlin and yeah. for Oregon. And then, like I said, if you're SMU, you've got to go get somebody that can win. You go get Seth Luttrell. It's a pretty seamless transition. He's already recruiting this area. He just gets to bump up the caliber of people that he's recruiting. My own film professor is standing right outside the window right now. This is awesome, Mr. Brown. Does he, does he know waving. that you're there? Yeah, okay. He just looked real surprised. Um, so that was fun. Um, my favorite, Mr. Allen. Shout. Um, but, yeah, so I, I think that that's what we're looking at as an, as an opportunity. I was really surprised by Willie Taggart going to Florida State. Um, I, I wasn't. He's got, he's got some ties, but I, for Florida State to go. And Willie's good. Willie Taggart, by the way, as of I think tomorrow or the next day, will be recruiting for his third school in the same calendar year. Yeah. Three different he has been to four he has qualified a team for four bowl games. He has coached in one of them. Yep. He I mean that's why Oregon fans are so devastated right now. It's like he yeah. didn't even get here in time. He didn't get to Oregon in time to like do any recruiting for them yeah. last cycle. Now he's recruited for them for the better part of eight and a half months and now he's piecing out and those recruits are all just kind of flapping in the wind now. So it's a pretty flapping in the wind because they're ducks. Um, it, it's a pretty. It's uh, good. You're welcome. I got you. Yeah, gold level dad joke. And that's like a bronze to silver. You're so wrong. Yeah. 
We'll, we'll have a vote on the poll. Um, but, I, you know, I think that it's interesting for Florida State to go from Jimbo Fisher, who is apparently, according to the Aggies, the second coming, and it really is better than Nick Saban today mm-hmm. uh, because he does have a national championship with Jameis Winston. So, yep. but I think that to go from him to Willie Taggart, it's an interesting move for Florida State, a program that's been in some turmoil off the field and administratively, which is why Jimbo was so anxious to leave. Um, but he, you know, he definitely doesn't have the track record or the cachet, but he definitely has the potential to be very successful at Free mm-hmm. University. I think so. I mean, look at what Charlie Strong did before and after his time at Texas. Yeah. And look at what Sumlin did before his time at Texas A&M. I think there's a similar arc that can be sure. seen. Uh, obviously, we're still we're projecting out for Sumlin at this point, but when you consider the organizations that they came from, yeah, Louisville with Charlie Strong, Houston with Kevin Sumlin, two less influential, less powerful programs with fan bases who were still on the grateful side of their reasonable. success. Reasonable. Um, not necessarily smaller, because both are larger schools, sure. but just more Different. reasonable not, not fan as, bases. Not as national, more regionally large. Yes. Yes, and regionally recognized, yes. I think, uh, from a college football sure. perspective. Going to two of the most, how do I put this, unreasonable arrogant. and irrationable, yeah. irrational unreasonable, arrogant fan bases in the nation. Delusional? Yeah, that works too. Um, Where the expectation is always going to be playoffs or bust. Yeah, for teams that barely are qualifying for bowl games. And historically, I mean, Texas only has two Big 12 titles. And A&M has none. None. They claim one. Yes. They claim one in a year where they never went to the Big 12 championship. Yes. Where they finished second in the Big 12 South. But they claim it. They claimed it as soon as they moved to the SEC. This one's ours now. And I think uh, Nebraska looked at them and was like, no. Not fam. Yeah. Sorry. I, you know, and, and I have a lot of Aggie coworkers, and, and I don't like to call them friends, but people that I associate with occasionally that are Aggies. And just to hear them talk about Jimbo Fisher and what a home run and how it was the best hire of the offseason. And, oh, don't worry, Chip Kelly isn't going to be very good. And, and, I mean, they're expecting this guy to come in and to beat Alabama in year two. Yeah. And to recruit top three classes and to say, oh, well, someone wasn't a great recruiter, which is just patently false. They just, Leon O'Neill, the safety that just decommitted from Texas A&M after someone left, I believe was the number one rated safety in the country. Yeah. I mean, uh, they, they lost a couple of big names, but they signed a ton of big names. They didn't, they didn't get the linebacker. Um, uh, uh, what was his name? They went to Ohio State. They lost him, and that was a big loss. Bryson, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, they, but they've signed some of the top prospects there, both Texas and Texas A&M. Yeah, Leon they O'Neal. They get whoever they want. Leon O'Neal Jr. is the eighth best player in the state of Texas for the 2018 class, the ninth best safety in the class, and the number over number 78 overall, according to the 24-7 sports composite. Uh, and that was the guy that, I mean, that was someone that someone brought in. Like, if you look at who Texas A&M has in their commit class, they've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, eight, four stars after O'Neill decommits. Uh, they've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players that are top 30 in the state of Texas. I, they, I mean, 
Yeah, well, Jalen I don't know what Preston, you Max Wright is a, a freak defensive end that I know the TCU coaching staff really wanted. Deshaun White is an outside linebacker who TCU is still kind of going after a little bit right now because he's a freak. He's a total freak. He's 6'4", or something like that. He's huge, and he runs like a 4'3". He's a monster. Like, Kevin Sumlin was recruiting at the highest level that, yeah. Ke- that Texas A&M had probably ever seen. Ever, yeah. Like, like historically. And, but, I mean, they're nationally ranked at 20 right now after O'Neal de- decommitted, but they, before that, they were a top 15 class. Like, one player, yeah, it's just, you're right. Fisher is not going to recruit any better. I don't understand how they think he's going to get nine, ten wins every single Does season. Do you think he's going to bring kids from Florida, from the state of Florida, with his beaches and its sun and its bikinis to College Station? Let me. I'm looking right now at the current commits. Texas A&M has uh, 14, and approximately zero are from outside the state of Texas. And you're not going to recruit nationally the way that Texas does because Austin is a much more appealing city to kids from Florida, to kids from California, from all those other places. There's there's something cosmopolitan about Austin. There's something cosmopolitan about Dallas-Fort Worth mm-hmm. where you can recruit from California and Louisiana. Those places, well, Louisiana probably is, is not in that category, but... You're, you're still – you have the great facilities. You have the great stadium. You keep saying you have this rich tradition, but all you have is a bunch of people buying into Colts. Yeah. Their tradition is their students. It's not their football team. They haven't won a national championship since around the last time that TCU won one. Yeah. They have one Southwest Conference division title – or, sorry, one, one division title, which they won under Johnny Manziel. They have one Southwest Conference championship, and that's it. And they have two 10-win seasons in the last 20 years. If you were to tell, ask any football, you were to, let's talk blind resumes, because that's all we've been hearing about for the last week anyways, right? Yeah. If you were to put, put TCU's blind resume, even factoring in the conferences they played in, next to Texas A&M's blind resume, I don't think there's a, t- a college football fan in the country that wouldn't rather be rooting for TCU. Yeah. I mean, at least, you, it doesn't matter where you're playing if you're winning. Yeah. And you're earning a seat at the big boys table that, that A&M only sniffed because of Johnny Manziel for one season. Yeah. I think this look. Jimbo Fisher is a great hire, and for like a third of a season with Kenny Hill. Yeah, yeah. I, Jimbo's a great hire. That's the best they could have done. Yeah. But if their expectation is that he comes in routinely beats Alabama and wins national championships, yeah, I, I think they're mistaken because you've got Arkansas is going to do well under Chad Morris. It's going to take him some time, mm-hmm. but that's a program on the rise. I think Ole Miss and Mississippi State are both in deep, deep waters. Mississippi State's probably going to be okay, but it's going to take a couple years yeah. um, with their new coach to get to get things kind of caught up to speed. But they made a really good hire, um, getting uh, slipping my mind. Oh, uh, the offensive coordinator from Penn State. Yeah. So, uh, yes. Dan Wood. Norwood. Wood something. I don't know. So anyway, so they made a solid hire, but it's going to take him some time. Ole Miss is in a heap of trouble. They just promoted their interim coach to be a sacrificial lamb because, let's be honest, there might be more stuff coming down the pipe, and they're about to lose Shea Patterson to Michigan. Yeah. Um, and uh, Deontay Anderson to someone, their best uh, well, safety or something you, like did that. Did you see um, uh, Red Cup Rebellion, the awesome Miss, uh, Ole Miss blog, tweeted that uh, Michigan's private plane was there recruiting Mississippi State's or Miss, Ole Miss's players while they were at Ole Miss. Yeah. I mean, they're in Oxford recruiting those players because yeah. they're co- – I mean, that's so uh, shady. Jim Harbaugh went to IHOP with a current player for Ole Miss, Deontay Anderson. 
And look, the thing is, is like they're all fair game. They've yeah. all been released. All the seniors don't have to wait a year to transfer or don't have to sit out a year to transfer. And the school has basically said, anybody else who wants to transfer, we won't like it'll yeah. be totally full release. Like you won't be forced to sit out for a season. So why why yeah, would why a kid not? why would a kid ignore Jim Harbaugh flying sure. down on a personal sure. plane? You know? I mean it's it's just a it's a crazy situation. It's been a crazy coaching carousel. Tennessee, one of the you know, another one of the programs that thinks it's better than it is, but that still has a name and some recognition, still doesn't have a football coach. Yeah. And at the end of the day, the lesson to take from this as a TCU fan is thank God for Gary Patterson. Yeah. Because you just don't see guys sticking around that long. And and there was there were so long where he was fighting an uphill battle. Yep. So long. And he dragged this school through four different conferences, three different conferences, whatever it was, to get them to the Big 12. And not only did he get them there and get them to multiple BCS, New Year's Six Bowls, but he's committed to staying for probably another seven years. I mean, this this program under him has, has risen dramatically, and he's looking like he's trying to build it up so that when he does step down to retire, not to take another job yeah. to retire, that it's going to be in good shape to continue to be successful for the next 20 years. And that... That says a lot about who he is as a person. It says a lot about the leadership at TCU. It says a lot about the community here in Fort Worth and on campus. And mostly, I mean, overall, it says a lot about Gary and Kelsey Patterson and the kind of people that they are and what Mm -hmm. truly matters to them. Because he could have taken the money and run a long time ago. Not that he needs the money because TCU is taking care of him. But he could have chased the bright lights. But to him, he wanted to create something special. And he's absolutely done that, including this year's 10-win season and birth in the Valero Alamo Bowl. Yes. Great segue. Well, hang Melissa. on. I, I don't want to burst your segue Dang bubble. Dang it. That was so good. Tennessee volunteers have offered the job to Alabama defensive coordinator Jeremy Pruitt. Interesting. Worked out for Georgia pretty well when they, hi- when they hired Alabama's Kirby. last defensive yeah. coordinator, Kirby Smart. The parties are discussing details tonight. A potential hang-up is whether Pruitt would be allowed to coach Alabama in the college football playoffs. But they should be in. Like, if you're Tennessee... Let him do whatever he wants. Just get it over with. Get it over with. Yeah. This has been embarrassing for you. Oh, beyond. Hire me at this yeah. point. There's nothing that he can he can do in a month to repair Tennessee's image Yeah. that's better than him going out trying to win a national championship. Now, I will say, this tweet is coming from the same guy who said that... Uh, 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 the Purdue head coach, Brome, yeah. was a done deal. So who knows if this is even real. But if that's true, just let him do whatever the yeah. heck he wants. Say, this contract is here waiting for you. You know, sign it now. And, yeah, you can still coach in January. Yeah, that's fine. Sure. That's totally fine. If I'm Tennessee, I'm just – first of all, disassociate yourself with Phil Fulmer, Tennessee. That dude sabotaged the heck out of John Curry. Well, he's your AD now. Yeah, I know. That's bad news. Bad news for them. If I was them, I, first of all, their chancellor turned down Mike Leach. How dumb do you have to be? Yeah, God, that would have been so great for college football. Yeah. All right, let's reset here. We're at University Pub live Wednesday night. It is pint night. The Wild Acre snapped gingerbread beer is the beer of the evening. But Wednesday night isn't the only night that you should come out to University Pub. You should come out on Monday nights when they have movie nights. You should come out on Tuesday nights when they have trivia at 7 p.m. It's totally free to play, and the first two teams get a cash prize. That's pretty awesome. And they have extended hours when TCU is playing sports. So if you love TCU sports, sports. huzzah. 
Come to the pub. Watch TCU sports happening on the TV screens while you drink some of their delicious beers. It's a good place to be. It's a great place to be. And love being here on a Wednesday night. You know what else is a great place to be? San Antonio, Texas. For the Valero Alamo Bowl. And there, we saved your segue. Congratulations. You one-upped my segue, and I'm a little disappointed in it, but it's okay. I'm going to let it happen. Because I am very excited to be playing in the Valero Alamo Bowl. While there was some initial disappointment about being dropped to 15, and rightfully so, I think that most fans have kind of come around to that being an awesome opportunity, not just to play in a bowl game that we all have the fondest of memories for, but it's a great setup. They've done... $60 $60 million in renovations or $20 million in renovations here that will be launching for the 25th anniversary game. They have some killer, killer tickets. Yeah, they do. Uh, that are, sorry, I thought I just unplugged the speaker. Oh, that no. are uh, embossed in silver for the 25th anniversary. And on top of all that, we are playing an exceptional opponent, one that you guys have heard me wax poetic on all season long. They are the Stanford Cardinal. The team that I have some close family ties to. So I'm super pumped to get to watch that game with my brother-in-law, who, who is a big Stanford fan, who works at Stanford. Um, unfortunately, I, I may possibly be in the sea of Cardinal Red, but that's a sacrifice you make for family, and I'm willing to do it. And I told him I will be decked out in purple if I do sit next to him. So he seems to be okay with that. Yeah. Um, but it, it's a fascinating matchup. You've got Bryce Love, who is a Heisman finalist. He's probably going to finish second this year, which I think will be the fourth straight year Stanford has had. a Or four out of, like, five years. They've had someone finish second. Yeah. Um, Toby Gerhardt, Christian McCaffrey, and they had one other guy as well finish second in the Heisman voting. Andrew so, Luck. Andrew Luck. Thank you. Twice. I should probably remember him. It yeah. Twice to Andrew Luck. Um, yeah. So, so it's a high-profile matchup. Uh, they've got a great offense behind Bryce Love, who should be fully healthy. There's some rumors he may not play. I don't buy that for a second. If you watch that kid gut out that Pac-12 championship well, game. Yeah, he's playing. He's playing in 100%. that game. Don't get your hopes up, Frog fans. So watching Bryce Love against the Gary Patterson defense, against this defensive line, um, the Stanford fans don't believe TCU's defense is much of a threat, but it's because they're not used to seeing Big 12 offenses and understanding just how powerful and potent those teams can be. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, Bryce Love obviously is a massive threat. He rushed for less than 100 yards one time this year. One time. And it was against Washington State when he only had one leg. Yeah. And he still had a 52-yard touchdown run like yeah, as the opening with, play of the game. 68 or 69 yards, something like that. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And, and their quarterback, K.J. Costello, has played really well the last he's five nice. weeks. Yeah, he wasn't nice. the starter at the beginning of the season, but he is the perfect complement to a running back like Bryce Love. The problem for, for Stanford that I've that I've seen as I've started to dig into them a little bit is defensively they look pretty like sporadic. Yeah. Like they have really good games and then they have really bad yeah. games. And right. it looks like offenses that are able to mix it up through the air and on the ground give them a lot of problems. Look at the two games that they played against USC. USC in two games, eight quarters, scored seventy three points and racked up over eleven hundred yards of offense. So if you have a dynamic offense that's, a, that's capable of moving the ball through the air and on the ground, you can probably give the Stanford defense some fits. Yeah, they don't have a lot of depth. And so yeah. with the way that TCU, if they play quick, which I think we're going to see something like we saw at Oklahoma State, yeah. where they're going to come out and they're going to try to get them on their heels, uh, I definitely think that, that the Frogs have an advantage in that regard. If we get good Kenny, which I think after three weeks of film study, we probably will. Yeah. And if Darius Anderson comes back, which I'm kind of on the fence. I'd almost rather him not. But sure. I, I want him to play, but I want to make sure he's healthy because he's got two more great years where he needs to be the feature guy here. But if he's healthy and he's good to go and he's on the field, I think TCU, that's, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't bet my house on it like SMU was trying last night. Yeah. But I'd feel really, really confident with Darius Anderson in the backfield. 
Uh, but regardless, either way, I, I think that the Frogs' offense is going to give that Sanford defense some trouble. They have yeah. a great secondary. They've had 16 interceptions by some ridiculous, like, six or seven different guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're really able to run the ball. But they got torn up by a Stan- uh, USC running game that hadn't been very good in the Pac-12 championship. And part of that is that the USC offensive line starting to get a little bit healthier or getting reps for those inexperienced guys. But they were down to third-string tackle yeah. in the third quarter. So I, I think there's some room for Kyle Hicks to have a big game in his, his swan song as a horn frog. Um, uh-huh. I, I think that Kenny Hill will give them a lot of trouble running the ball. Their linebackers are, are a little bit slower, but bigger, stronger, more playing towards that Pac-12 style. Um, the secondary is really opportunistic, so we're going to have to be smart with the football. But um, I, I'm going to be interested to see what the offensive game plan is and how Sonny Cumbie calls that game. I think the defense is – I think Bryce Love is going to get his 100, but I don't think he's going to get 160. And it'll be interesting to see uh, how how Patterson kind of messes with a young quarterback that's pretty inexperienced yeah. with that 4-2-5 defense. Yeah. A lot of blitzes. We're going to see a lot of Ennis gains coming to the backfield, I have a feeling. I, I think so, too. Just so you know, TCU is still 19th in the country in total defense. Yeah. They're still real good. They had to play Oklahoma twice. Yeah. 19th in the country yeah. in total defense. It's really good. They are, let's see here, uh, 8th in the country on third down conversion percent defense. That's pretty good. Uh, let's see. They are... Uh, I think I clicked the wrong thing. Anyways, they're still really good on defense. Yeah, still very good. They're, they're still really good on defense. I, I, you're right. And going back to what you said about the Oklahoma-Georgia game, too, Georgia has no idea how good Big 12 yeah. offenses are. Stanford has no idea how, how good they, TCU's defense yeah. really is. And that's going to be problematic for them. It's going to be. Uh, I mean, I've, I've watched almost every snap of Stanford season, even some of those late-night games, and I feel like I have a pretty good beat on who this team is. And I think it's a really good matchup for TCU. I don't think it's a blowout. I mean, I think it's going to be a close game. But I, I think there's a reason the Frogs are the early favorites here, and, and I would expect them to handle their business, especially having been slided and dropped to 15th. I mean, we saw the last time they got screwed by the CFP yeah. and how that, how that worked out for Ole Miss. So. Not great. Not great. Not great. Dr. Bo remembers. Oh, poor Bo. He got... He got hammered. Obliterated hammered. in that game. So, yeah. So, I'm excited to go back to San Antonio. It's, it's a great facility, especially with the upgrades. I mean, I know we were hot and we were thirsty in the second half of that game, but nobody really cares. Uh, the memories are outstanding. It'll be fun to kind of relive some of those moments. And they've been doing a lot of promotion for the 25th anniversary game yeah. that involves a lot of those great moments um, with TCU and Oregon in that, that Remember the Alamo special. Yes. I'll be interested to see what color shirt Gary's wearing at the tip-off, though. Or Probably the tip-off, not black. Sorry. Probably not black. Probably not. You just you said tip-off because we've got TCU basketball. Yeah, that, that was an accidental segue there. But it, it works. Yeah. Because TCU basketball. They're so good. 9-0. They're so good. Last night was unbelievable. Yeah, beat the 94-83 to win over SMU, snapping a five-game series winning streak for the Mustangs, continuing TCU's nation-longest winning streak to 14 games. Without Alex Robinson? Yeah, and the Sholly was rocking last it was about, night. Yeah, it was about, it was definitely the best crowd for a non conference yeah. game in a long Maybe ever. time. Yeah. In a long time. Uh, I'd say it was probably about 70% full. Yeah. I think that's fair, 70, 75%. Yeah, full. By, by the end, it felt like, in that kind of that 10 minute stretch there before the game got out of hand, it felt almost full. It still wasn't maxed out, but for a no. non conference game, there was a lot of SMU fans, which was great because it just added to the energy. The environment. It was probably yeah. 70% TCU, 30 SMU, and they were loud early. Yes, they were. 
And, uh, you know, you had SMU fans experiencing Big 12 refs yeah. for the first time. Sorry, that was guys. pretty nice. Uh, one lady that was sitting right behind me on media row was just continually screaming over and over, you're the worst official ever. You're the worst official Welcome ever. Welcome to the Big 12. Ponies. And I wanted to turn around and be like, lady, you have no clue. Yeah, this isn't even. This, isn't even this is actually iceberg. relatively decent. The, uh, the, some of the things that stood out to me in TCU's, in TCU's game against SMU um, is just, first of all, Desmond Bain is probably the best player on this team. Yeah. I know that Kenrich Williams is the one that had 27 points and nine boards and five dimes against SMU, but Desmond Bain's, like, field goal efficiency percentage is, like, over 65%. You know who he reminds me of a little bit? Who's that? Devin Booker. Yeah. That's a good comparison. Yeah. Rest in peace, Devin Booker. Just hurt his ankle. He's out for, like, the next three weeks. Yeah. But he's he's that kind of kid where – he, he came out after his freshman year, and people didn't, didn't think maybe he should. They thought he was leaving a little bit early, but he was that same thing. He had that kind of funky release, but he was a smooth shooter. He puts the ball through the hoop, and then he goes to the pros, and he explodes. And great body control. Yeah, ba- great body. And, and Bain is still a little I mean, he's a little rough. He's still a sophomore that came from a smaller school and doesn't mm-hmm. really quite have just quite enough experience, but he's so flipping strong. The dude looks like Popeye. Uh, he's got some Popeye. This is a big old great dance. It's awesome. Yes. Uh, he looks like Popeye out there. He can, you know, he can get up. He can get off the floor. And I still think that's one thing where SMU has a slight advantage over TCU. It's just the overall athletes that they're getting. Um, the Frogs are making it work with a team that's not going to alley-oop and is not going to back cut you to death. And, and the Ponies had some great offensive sets where they were getting curls to back cuts. They were getting alley-oops. They have guys that can jump out of the gym. And TCU yeah. is still recruiting that type of athlete. But what the Frogs have is is a group that plays incredibly well together, that they're super unselfish. Jamie Dixon, in almost every post-game interview I've, I've heard him give, talks about guys that hunt their shot yeah. versus guys who let the game come to them. And there are some shot hunters on that team. But what we're seeing is every single game, it's becoming less and less about the individual guys and more and more about the team's success. And if that yeah. continues, you know, Desmond Bain is a super unselfish player that needs to shoot the ball more. Kendrick yes. Williams is the most unselfish guy that we've had maybe ever, yeah. right? Um, and you look at Alex Robinson, I think, is really maturing as a point guard. Uh-huh. Jalen Fisher is not a ball hog by any stretch of that thing. He's super unselfish. He's Nine always assists. looking to get the guy. Yeah, Nine he's always looking to get the guy. J.D. Miller has come on out of nowhere this year to become a— He showed a, a lot last year. Yeah, he, but, you know, but he went, last year he was a guy who shot corner threes and played defense. Yeah. He was a 3 and D guy. Hustle this year back. he's putting the ball on the deck. He's going up for offensive rebounds. He's finishing in the paint. He's hitting floaters in the lane. Like his his offensive game has become he's, so much more well-rounded yeah, yeah, than it was. Absolutely. So he was still he was an important piece, but he was a piece. This year he's a core central part of this foundation that when he yeah. is good, TCU is great. Yeah, and you know, Ken, Kenny Hustle said this in his in his post-game last night when someone asked him you know, he, he had 27 points against SMU, and, and he, they were asking, all right, is it important for you to get your shot going early and all this other stuff? Because he hit two threes right out of the gate, and that kind of set the tone for TCU for the rest of the night, shooting-wise. Uh, they finished the game shooting 50% for three, 56% from the floor, Kenny 80 missed something. one shot from the field. Yeah, seven of eight, five of six from three-point range. Like, he was lighting it up. And he said no. You know, he's like, guys are just finding me when I'm open. I'm finding guys when they're open. And he, he, he even named. He's like, you know, we had five guys scoring in double digits tonight, and that doesn't include Vlad, who's normally in that mix, too. He goes, we've just got so many guys who are capable of scoring. Yeah. It's like we're just finding each other when we're open. And I think that's so important for a team that has maybe not the, the one, like, dominant yeah. guy who can take over a game. Yeah. I think there are guys who have that ability. When they need to. Bane, sure. yes. 
Yeah. Fisher, maybe a little Vlad, bit. Vlad has had those games. Vlad, yeah, like, depending but on the matchup. But it's not like a consistent game to game kind of thing where you've got one guy who you know in the last second is going to be the ball. We don't have a shake Milton. We don't have a shake Milton, but you've got depth. You've got guys like Ahmed Hamdi who God, are coming off the bench so in love with him. and giving you 10 points Unbelievable and just player. banging in the paint. Un- but banging, banging and then have this the ridiculous soft touch around the rim. His footwork is probably some of the best footwork I've seen in a big it's game. unbelievable. Like, it's ridiculous what kind of a pickup that kid was from VCU, yeah. right? VCU, yeah. And then you've got depth at guard. It's not the greatest depth in the world yet because you've got Sean Olden, who's the transfer from JUCO, who spent a year at Pepperdine. And then you've got the true freshman, R.J. Nembhard. It's going to be good. Who is going to be really not there. good. I mean, he only got two minutes against sure. SMU. And Olden only got four with Robinson out of the game because a lot of the a lot of the minutes were given to Fisher and to Bain. Sure. The, the expectation was on them. And, frankly, Kenrich Williams didn't, didn't see yeah, the bench at all. Seat. He yeah. played all 40 minutes. Um which is still a crazy efficient 40 minutes to go 27-9-5. It's, it's insane. But uh, the depth on this thing is just light years yeah. ahead of where it was even a year ago. Sure. And, and the thing that I think is most important is that a win like this over SMU, yes, it's at home. Yes, SMU is younger this year, and they lost a lot of talent to the NBA a year ago. But they just but this rolled is, USC. This is one of those confidence builders for a squad that, you know, is rode really high through the NIT last year and is coming back with a lot more expectation. Picked third by the coaches in the Big 12 to finish third in the con- – that's, like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. And now they come out, they go 8-0 through some relatively uh, – some, some – Four, four some or five tournament decent, teams. Decent competition. Yeah, yeah you've got Belmont. You've Small. got St. Bonaventure. Uh, you know, uh, you've got S- South, South Dakota on that tournament. list. Yale's a tournament team. Maybe. Yale's going to win the Ivy. Okay. Yale's going to win the well, Ivy. yeah, okay. I've got that from good authority, Chris Conaty. So, okay. you know, yeah, I feel like that's going to happen. Fine. Christian, but, Christian uh, Choa. But, but, but frankly, the, but, they but, hadn't but played. But smaller division tournament And they hadn't, they hadn't played anybody at the caliber yeah. of SMU no, this nobody. year. And to come out and, and to to battle through some turnovers. There, I mean, they turned the ball over Sloppy 20 times. against that pressure. And, and some of, yeah, some of that was the 1-3-1 that SMU extended to half court and did some really good good trapping. They're so athletic. They were, They're so they quick. Were Their guards are the so phenomenally quick. There, was, there were a couple of points where I was like, do they have six guys on the court? Yeah. Because uh, they were incredibly athletic. Uh, a fantastic basketball team. Um, but TCU battled through those turnovers. They kept their cool when they could have lost it emotionally. Huge moment. Uh, when, when Williams got tackled on that breakaway. And I've got a question for you about that in just one second. They kept their emotion, and then they made free throws down the stretch. Yes. They were 14 of 15 from the charity stripe in the last minute, 47 of the game. It was just Kenny missing one, right? Kenny missed one, I believe. Maybe it was. He missed two on the night. Maybe. I think it was either Kenny or Hamdi, but I don't think Hamdi missed one. Anyways. Regardless, yeah. 14 of 15 in the last minute, 47 of the game from the free throw line. Those are the kinds of things that good teams do in close ball games to make sure that they come away with a win. Now, let's talk about the foul that happened. Uh, Hustle got a steal, breakaway, going up for the layup. I was ready for a and, great dunk picture. I was so oh, ready. Oh, he was going to throw it oh, down. Oh, he was going to throw And the place was going to explode. Yes, and it still did, but in rage when an SMU player just straight up form tackled him yeah. from behind. I saw a lot of things on Twitter saying it was the best tackle an SMU yeah. player had on a TCU <laughs> player in many years. I don't disagree. But uh, he was assessed a flagrant one. Why wasn't he assessed a flagrant two? Like, that to me was the epitome of a flagrant two foul. A, Big 12 refs. Okay. 
I mean, I, going against the Big Twelve team. No, they're just incompetent. Oh, okay. Yeah, just, that's it, fair. Just straight inco- incompetence. Fair. Um, you know, I've coached basketball for a lot of years, right? I've been doing this for, for more than 20 years. I'm going to go ahead and age myself. I've watched a ton of basketball. I've played a ton of basketball. Um, there is nothing more obvious than that to toss a player. Yeah. Uh, you know, Tim Jankovic, the SMU coach after the game, was saying that he thought he was going for the ball from his vantage point. I've got the photos. There's no way he's going for the ball. He wrapped him up. Yeah. By not not by the upper body to, to by the where legs. he would, but by the legs and took his legs out. Yeah. Uh, Kenny Hustle is lucky he didn't he didn't fall and tear an ACL, roll an ankle, or yeah. mostly that he didn't get a concussion. I mean, yeah. he that is a big boy coming down really really hard. Um, Desmond yeah. Bain's reaction said it all to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, his arms were up, his mouth was open, and he was like, not just where's the foul it was. I cannot believe you just did that to my teammate. Yeah. Um, now, Kenny, Kenny's a tough guy. He bounced up. It was fine. But I, I'm with you. I don't see any reason why that player should not have been ejected other than at that point, the Frogs had a pretty good lead. They were in control. SMU was in a ton of foul trouble. Yeah. And I wonder if that was kind of a, hey, we probably whistled them a little bit more than we should have. They haven't really gotten away with anything. We, we don't want to take this player off the floor. If that's the reason, that's ridiculous. And the only reason that it worked out for them is because of the composure that TCU's veteran leaders showed. Yeah. And, and Jamie Dixon, I have not seen him do this yet in a year and a half now, was the first person over to Kendrick Williams. Before Desmond Bain leaned down to pick him up, Jamie Dixon was on his knees next to him, and I think he was partially checking to make sure he was okay uh-huh. and partially saying, don't react. And I think it was both. I was like, are you okay? Don't react. Are you okay? Don't react. Yeah. No, I mean, it was right there. Like It happened right in front of me. And, and Dixon was so quick to that spot to make sure, A, that his, his star player was healthy, was okay, and then, B, to make sure that his team did not escalate things. And the cool thing was, he said after the game, is that all he had to do, and you wrote this in your recap as well, all he had to do was tell them, just keep doing what you're already doing, because they handled that with such composure, such poise, yep. and that's going to go a long way for this team down the stretch. Plus, they went out, and much like TCU uh, football did against Baylor, once they got in that moment, they said, we're not going to beat you up. We're going to stomp on your necks and take the last little bits of life out of you on the court, and that right. game was over immediately. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Okay. That, I mean, that makes sense as far as why they maybe left this guy on the, on the court, but... To me, that was a no-brainer. It's, it's a bad call. To me, that was a no-brainer. A he should call. have been gone. Yeah. I don't care if you're in foul trouble already. I don't care if, if you haven't given them any slack at all throughout the yeah. game. Like He yeah. tackled the guy. He needed to be gone. That's what I think their thought process was. I completely disagree with it. Yeah. He should have been tossed. I mean, realistically, though, like you said, TCU handled it as well as they could have as a team. The fans were furious, obviously, uh, and rightfully so, because it was a trash play by that SMU kid. Um, but the fact of the matter is they kept their head... They played the last four and a half minutes of that game with complete poise and composure, uh, as evidenced by their free throw shooting down the stretch and their defense down the stretch, and um, came away with the win, nine and zero. Now they've got Nevada on Friday night in Staples Center. Game. Nevada just dropped their first game of the year to Texas Tech in overtime in Lubbock. This is a really, really, really good, good Nevada Wolf. And they're going to be angry after and that they are loss. Old. Yeah, they're, they're very like veteran. all juniors and seniors. Yeah. So they're going to be. That's going to be a really tough matchup for the Horn Frogs, um, but I, I I think that I speak for everyone when I say that we are just so thrilled that TCU basketball is actually a relevant thing. Great, and more than relevant. Like at this point, it, I don't see them going any worse than like seven and nine in the Big Twelve play. 
I mean, you've got to think you're going you to win that's most one win of your better home than games. last year. Yeah, you're going to win most of your home games. You would think with the Shaw Myers pack, which I think come yeah, Big 12 w- with the exception be. being Kansas, obviously, and then maybe uh, no, West no, no, Virginia. No, 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 we're beating Kansas, Jamie. Okay. I'm I'm telling you right okay. now, we are beating Kansas in Fort Worth. Okay. What are you going to what what's the bet? I'm not eating a barbecue shirt cuz I'm smarter than you. What are but, you going to do? What's the bet? <laughs> uh, I'll take suggestions uh, for uh, in the comments and okay. on Twitter for the bet, but I'm telling you right now TCU is going to beat Kansas in Fort Worth. I don't think a sweep is out of the question. But we're going to beat them in Fort Worth. Just throwing it out there. Um, but yeah, okay. but, but this is it's a good team, it's a deep team. Now, that's assuming we don't we really cannot afford to lose one of our lead guards in Big 12 play and win those games. There's, the the guard depth in the conference healthy. is too good. Robinson, Robinson has, has to, to be healthy. healthy. They're a different team when he's at 100%. Mm-hmm. As good as they were last night, and they were great, they are a different team with him at 100%. And he looked like he was finally starting to get healthy Oh, he again. looked great in the first half against Yale. Yeah. He was everywhere. He was all over the floor. He looked great, defensively and, and offensively. And Dixon said, too, in the postgame with, T- with SMU that uh, Robinson is by far their best yeah. defensive guard. Yeah. If you don't have that kind of a lockdown defender, the you need that guy. In the Big 12, you need you're, that guy. Yeah, yeah. But he'll be back. It's. I don't think it's anything too serious. He'll be back by conference play at the worst. It looks mm-hmm. like, and and that's the important thing. But yeah, I, I mean, I think they're gonna they're gonna take care of business. And so now you're looking at a situation where TCU was the best football team in the state of Texas in 2017, unquestionably. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They've been the best baseball team in the like, state. With some, some some argument, Texas Tech has had a nice run too. And but, Texas A&M. But TCU like, goes to College World Series, and Texas Tech does not. I've been to two. We've been to five. Yeah, I know. I'm just I'm not disagreeing <laughs> with you. Yeah, no, but I would say the other two teams that had any kind of argument at all would be Texas Tech and Texas A&M. Sure. Yeah. But we've beaten both of them at the highest yes. level. Yeah, and, and we've beaten both of them yeah. to eliminate them from the World yes. College World Series. But so. Texas Tech and both of those teams have been great. I just got to throw a little shade at Tech. Um, yeah. And now you're looking at a position now where I mean, TCU and Texas A&M probably battling to be the best basketball team in the state. I, I would give Texas A&M the edge right Absolutely. now just because Absolutely. of the teams they've beaten this sure. year. But, but but TCU's coming up behind them. It's like 1A, 1B. Yeah, and depending on how you know you start looking into March, and depending on how matchups and seedings go, TCU's got a good shot to maybe make a nice little run here. I don't think we're looking at a national championship team, no. but... But if, if the Frogs get to a sweet 16, this place will erupt with joy. I mean, it's yeah. be unbelievable. I mean, right now, I think the latest projection updates, like for Bracketology or whatever, have TCU as a five seed. Yeah. Good Lord. I don't want to be a five. I'd five, rather be a upset. six. I'd rather be a six, too. But mm-hmm. I, three years ago, if someone said, hey, by the way, TCU yeah. in 2017 will be projected to be a five seed in the tournament, and you're looking there with Trent Johnson in yeah. his sweater vest, and you're just like, huh, Okay. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, uh, and it, yeah, it's just it's. I'm so thrilled for Jamie Dixon and for those kids who have been battling for so long, especially Kenny, who's sure. just he, he battled back through it. two knee two knee yeah. injuries, has he just been it. been absolute role model team player. Uh, you know, just been a fantastic yeah. fan, taken after Brandon Parrish, yeah. really. Yes. And for the, the TCU students, too, because yeah. they, the, the student section is fantastic at the games. They're great. They're there early. They stay the whole time. They're loud. The band is outstanding. Um, yeah. it, it's just it's a good time to be there. And, and again, we'll continue to implore you all, if you are not going to TCU basketball games, don't look at who they're playing. Get there. You want to be a part. You want to be on the bandwagon yeah. early. They and we'll have... take all the bandwagon jumpers we can get, but mm-hmm. you want to be there now. They have three more non-conference games. Mm-hmm. Nevada on Saturday, Texas Southern Monday the 18th. They're taking off the week for finals. 
uh, and then William and Mary on the 22nd of December. And then they were riding to conference play. Yeah. December Oklahoma. 30th, two days after the Valero Alamo Bowl, Oklahoma comes to town, followed by Baylor coming to town on January 2nd, followed by going to Kansas on January 6th. At, in Waco for January oh, sorry, 2nd. Yeah. Sorry, in Waco. And then Kansas coming here yeah. on January 6th. The game 6th. we're going to win. So, uh, you know, three games against three really good basketball teams right out of the gate in Big 12 play. Things aren't slowing down for TC basketball at Oklahoma all. Oklahoma has. Get to yeah. the Scully. So You're going to want to watch that Oklahoma fast. team. That, they have get a, a freshman guard who is a beast. All-American level. Yeah, Trey, Trey Young. Young right? He is. Yeah, but we're going we're gonna to beat OU by eight. We're going to lose to Baylor by three, and we're going to beat Kansas by five. Who's better, Trey Young or Shake Milton? Trey Young. Like by, by far, by right? By far. Shake Milton, the only thing that really bothers me about his game is the fact that someone gave him youth medium shorts. <laughs> he borrowed John Stockton's shorts. <laughs> God, no, I don't even think Stockton could have fit in those. Whew, they were small. Hey, they were small. Whatever makes him aerodynamic so that he can you know fly what? I guess the it is. like that. The, the kid's name is Shake, so maybe he moves around too much. If anything, bad gear would have lost him. Yeah. Would have lost him. Yeah, but TCU basketball is a real awesome. deal. Y'all need to get out to the stadium. Their t- tickets are so affordable. Yeah. Tickets for the last three or for the two non-conference games that are at home coming up, like eight bucks. Yeah, go. Through Go Frogs. There's not a bad seat in no, that stadium. It's there a really wonderfully isn't. done stadium. Yeah. Go. It's so, so great. And it's, it's a, really, frankly, an awesome family atmosphere. Yeah. I took my son a couple times last year to uh, I took him to a game against uh, Tech, which we won, and the Baylor game, which was really close to the end. Such a great game. And it, it was loud in there, and three-year-old handled it fine. So, like, it's a really good family yeah, atmosphere. Good family. He just looked for Super Frog the whole time. But, exactly. You know, so that's all we all do. It's all good. But, you know, it, one thing that I'm really excited about, Melissa... And this is not a segue more so than it's just something that I'm – we are it's, – it's December 6th. And in two weeks, TCU is going to have some new football players. Yeah. Because of the new early signing period. So thankful football. for. Yes. Very thankful for this early signing period. It's going to help schools out like TCU tremendously, I think, who uh, are trying to sign really, really elite players before – the allure of maybe yeah. a bigger program gets to them late. You know, you've seen in recent years uh, guys like Andrew Billings get away late. Guys like Daylon Mack get away late. Uh, TCU has lost two or three guys to Texas in the last yep. couple Januaries of recruiting seasons. So this this December signing period, which starts on the 20th, goes to the 22nd. It's a 72-hour window for recruits to sign. It's going to be absolutely massive for TCU. And it looks like most of their guys are going to sign during that time period. Um, but if you haven't heard anything about TC recruiting or their 2018 class yet, first of all, stop it. Start paying attention. I know it's weird to like pay attention to, to 17- and 18-year-olds like yeah. that, but it's the future of the football program, and it's really a cool thing to keep, to keep up with, especially when you've got kids like Justin Rogers oh. committed, four-star quarterback, number two dual-threat quarterback in the country, Number 34 player overall in the recruiting class for 2018 uh, out of Bossier City, Louisiana, Parkway High School. This kid is absolutely phenomenal. He's legit. Absolutely phenomenal. Can't wait for him to be in the purple and white. Uh, suffered a knee injury to start the high school year, but uh, that, that doesn't look like it's going to keep him down. He's already back rehabbing and, and doing the things that he needs to do in the gym. Uh, to get that leg back in fully in, in condition, but TCU has a recruiting class that currently, according to 24/7 composite rankings, third best in the Big 12, top 16, number 16 in the country. 
Eddie Times. Which is crazy. It's insane. So Justin Rogers, obviously their highest rated recruit. Right behind him from South Grand Prairie, Atanza Vongor, a 6'1 safety. This dude, if you remember, Mar- if you remember Marvin White. Yes, the great this White. This is the second White. coming of Marvin White. This dude has elite speed. He's fantastic in coverage. And he will hit you so hard you forget your name. And not because you have a concussion, but just because <laughs> you got hit so hard that all of your memory is gone. Yes. And I believe Zarnell Fitch was at his house tonight. A couple nights ago. It was a, a couple, couple nights, nights ago. ago. I just saw it on Twitter today. So getting behind. But. Yeah. In home. In home with, with Z. And with I believe I, I believe Patterson was there as Probably, well. Probably, yeah. For that. Uh, and then you've got four-star wide receiver. This dude has been underrated for months He's on months He's blowing up now. To Valence Hunt uh, out of Texarkana, Texas high school. Same high school as uh, – Quite a few players that are currently at the college level. I mean, this this school cranks Factory, out yeah. college players. Um, Ryan Mallett, for those of you that are familiar with the former Michigan slash Arkansas quarterback, played at Texas High. Um, I actually, fun anecdote, I saw Ryan Mallett at Texas High play Robert Griffin III at Copper's Cove in like a, like a state quarterfinal game at the old Cowboys Stadium in Irving wow. when I was like a sophomore, freshman or sophomore at TCU. Nice. Yeah, I took some buddies from out of state to go watch some Texas playoff so high school see, football. Yeah, yeah, they could see what it's and like. And they were like, why is it a Cowboys Stadium? There are going to be like 12 people there. And then there were 50,000 people there <laughs> or something like that for a quarterfinal game. Yeah. They were blown away. Welcome to Texas. But to, to Valence Hunt uh, is rated as the 49th best um, wide receiver in the country, 34th best player in the state of Texas. This kid is it's phenomenal. Just a monster. His hands, his just size, his, his body control, his speed, like his he's route got running, everything. Yeah, he's crazy. he's got everything. And Him he, with Jalen Rager, Omar Manning, and Jamar Chase. Hopefully, are that that's a core for the next two or three years that is going to cause some problems no matter who's slinging uh-huh. the football. And when you've got guys who are capable of slinging it, like Sean Robinson and Justin Rogers. The deep ball will be back with Valen Tom. Thank the good Lord above. Yeah. We're going to stretch the field out a little bit. Uh, but it, I think the story here for this recruiting class for 2018 is really the linemen that they have on the offensive line committed and the secondary. Yeah. You've, you've got Atonza Vongor at safety. Behind him, you've got four other commits that play in the secondary. You've got Trayvon Morig Woodard, who's a 6'2 quarterback. I like him. Yeah. Six foot two I like quarter, him cornerback. A lot. You've got Eddie Smith, who's he's, a six foot one cornerback. So you're seeing Patterson's recognizing another weakness of his defense, which is two small corners. Now he's got two corners coming in that are over six feet tall. That's going to be tremendous for this thing. Not to mention, you've got another corner in um, Darius Davis, who's five foot. uh, Sorry, not Darius Davis. Um, Where'd he go? Where'd he go? We'd be remiss, too, while you find him to not talk about Ben Wilson. Oh, sorry, Hidari Caesar, the other safety that's committed at 5'11". So you've got a secondary right now who maybe has two guys in the starting five who are over six feet tall. And in this recruiting class alone, you've got four guys who are 5'11 yeah. or taller. And you've got uh, Darius Davis, who is in the same build as Rantani Tejada and just as fast. Yeah. He's 5'9", 160, but he's yeah. a freak corner. Freak, yeah. And on the offensive line, you've got 
Juco Anthony McKinney, who's an offensive tackle. He's six foot eight, three hundred thirty pounds. And, and we're going to need him because we graduated yes. a lot on the line this yeah, year. Yeah, he's going to come in and probably step in and compete for a starting spot right away. He's the number one Juco offensive tackle in the recruiting class for twenty eighteen. Uh, he's out of the same uh, Juco college as Taj Williams, Iowa Western, um, up in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Hey, what happened to Taj Williams? Not answering that. Not answering that question. We've also got guys like uh, John Lands and Esteban Avila and Ian Burnett and Chris Dyke along the offensive line who are all going to come in and, and probably redshirt but add depth because yeah. you're losing six offensive yeah. linemen this year. One of the guys, though, that hasn't been talked a lot about who I think is going to be a freak – or two guys, really – First, Ben Wilson. Yes, I, I'm super pumped about Ben Wilson uh, line, out of Washington. Yeah, linebacker out of Washington, six foot two, two twenty. Also, uh, running back for his high school team, Sumner Senior High. Um, this guy, think Jason Phillips, think Tank Carter with the way that he will hit you. Think he is Clay a Matthews with a hair. And I mean the way he plays. Yeah, he flies around the field. He's got the speed. He hits you hard. Yeah. And then you've got uh, probably my favorite guy in this entire signing class, Bryson Jackson. Yeah. Six-foot wide receiver, elite speed, who also plays baseball. Uh, and he is an early enrollee. I don't know what that means for his baseball career at TCU uh, because that's a lot of catching up he'd have to do sure. uh, with TCU baseball already where it would be in the process by the time he got here in January. But. Uh, this kid is like a legit two sport athlete. Yeah, um, he can hit. He's going to pinch hit for TCU baseball and run bases at least this year. I think he'll pinch run. I don't know about much more than that, but uh, he's he can play. He can play. He and and he's a wide receiver who is going to really benefit from being an early enrollee. Yes, uh, you know, at six feet tall, uh, with the speed that he has, he's just another guy on the list at this point of a wide receiving core that looks like it's going to be really reloaded. Yeah, uh, I, I feel like the last two years we've looked at the wide receiver core and, and been a little disappointed with the performance, um, but the talent maybe hasn't been there like we thought sure. it was. Yeah. But now you've got Omar Manning, you've got Jalen Rager, you've got uh, uh, Tavalence Hunt coming in. You've got athletes like Tay Barber coming in to yeah. fill in that Kevontae Turpin role. You still role. have Isaiah Graham. You still have, yeah. And, and so we're, TCU is doing a fantastic job with this 2018 recruiting sure. class of absolutely reloading. Yeah. Which I think is just absolutely fantastic for this thing. But, yeah, keep your eye on the recruiting class if you haven't. Uh, it's really worth it, especially at this time of year when some so many guys are so close to actually signing and becoming yeah. Horned Frogs for real. Yeah. And don't, don't worry about all of the – rabble around Justin LSU. Rogers and LSU. Just don't worry I about it. I ask you pretty much every day if we're okay with him, and you keep telling me to relax. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. It's going to be fine. Should we take a few questions here on our way out the door? Let's do it. Let's get to the mailbag. Do you anticipate the Big Ten and the Pac-12 fighting uh, for an expansion to an eight-team playoff? Yes. And I think, yeah, I mean, I, I, think, that, I think that we're an eight team playoff the next time they revisit the topic because you've got you've got too many teams that haven't been included that actually have a say in the room yeah. and I think it needs to be eight teams I think you have to guarantee a conference a power five conference champion a slot in the playoffs yeah That's an I easy mean it's, solution. it's just like the, the whole premise right now seems a little ridiculous if you've got five power five conferences and four playoff yeah, spots it's ridiculous like what if it's like the big 12 designed it what if the NFL 
which has, uh, what is it, six playoff spots in each league, I guess. Four and divisions, they, in each conference. two wild cards. Yeah. What if they went to just two teams? Three divisions in each conference. And they were decided they by a committee of owners and GMs. Yeah. That would be ridiculous. Yeah. And then you'd see, like, the Dallas Cowboys getting in when the Eagles win the division. Yeah. Like, what the heck's going on there, yeah. right? So, because they had a great quality win over Kansas City Chiefs or something stupid. Like, sure. It's, it's as illogical as it could possibly be right now. Um, I don't think uh, – the question goes on to say maybe just six-team playoff with buy, buys for the first first two play. I don't, I don't like the idea of buys in a college football playoff. It gives the team – like, say you've got 13-0 Alabama – and the sixth seed uh, is TCU. And so TCU has to play, say, Clemson in the first yeah. round, and then they've got to go play Bama, who's had two weeks to rest and get healthy and then start preparing for either team. Like, that's just such that's a unfair, disadvantage. Yeah. Um, I think you do eight teams and you host the first round on college campuses would be, to me, the perfect solution. That'd be great. And you can have six automatic qualifiers. Yes. You have the five Power Five conferences. And the group, group and of five. group of five champion if they're finished higher than 15. Yes. Or if they're lower than 15, they can still get an at-large. Sure. But fi- like, the, like the BCS had that It's rule. easy. If yeah. they were higher than 15, 14 or 15, they automatically qualified. Yeah. You know, it turns out the BCS wasn't so ludicrous after all. Yeah. At least you knew it. what was going on. Yeah. Um, moving on. Let's see here. Sonny Cumbie, this is from Frog Licker, our good friend, Frog Licker. Uh, Sonny Cumbie was once considered to be a possible heir in waiting for Gary Patterson to hand the reins off to him, but his skills on offense, sorry, between his skills on offense, quarterback development, recruiting, being young enough to learn other areas like defense, special teams, and administration, uh, like all of those things are qualities that we kind of saw in Cumbie over the last couple of years, but he seems to have hit a wall. And his primary job of offensive scheming and variety. Is it too early for us to complain and doubt? Yeah, I mean, I think, like we said earlier, he's in his first year on the job. And, and let's be honest, like, while we've all, I think, kind of come around on Kenny Hill, he's still a, a limited quarterback. Yeah. Right? And so, now, let's give him Sean Robinson, and let's give him Justin Rogers, two physical freaks that have, it appears to be better arms and, and more opportunities to do things with the football. If he can't develop either of those two four-star recruits, then maybe there's some time to, to take some questions. But TCU's had subpar performances from the wide receivers. They've had injuries on, on the offensive line. Uh, and he's in his first year calling plays. So let's give him two, three years before we make a judgment one way or the other. The other thing we need to think about, too, is that the bright side, to, bright side. to all of this is that instead of people come calling for Sonny Cumbie after one year as a play caller, he knows he's got to he's got to kind of earn his name again, and so yeah. he's going to stick around for two or three years and hopefully develop a rapport with the players that are, that are currently he's responsible for, and then maybe again continue to fall in love with TCU because he is the type of person you want leading your program long term. And he's going to develop a rapport with his coaching staff. Yeah, it hasn't been his staff no. the last three years. It's been uh, Doug Meacham's. Yeah. And so now he's the guy in that room, yeah. like I said earlier. And and you've got to he's a earn, young guy. You've got to earn some of that respect, yeah. especially from guys like Curtis Looper who sure. have been around. Yeah. And 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 that leads into the next question from Froglicker: Is do we know the duties and scheming and how that's split up between Cumby and Looper? Um, not to mention some presumed input from from Gary Patterson. Um, first of all, Patterson only pokes his head in the room, I think, when he's dissatisfied. Yeah. Um, so take that for what it's worth. But, yeah, no, this is 
I mean, Cumbie's the guy. Yeah. He's the play caller. He's the primary scheme guy. He's he's it. And Looper has a significant amount of input, I think. Yeah. But we, you know, Looper is also the running backs coach, yeah. and he's done a fantastic job Phenomenal. of developing Darius Anderson and Kyle Hicks and doing all of that. And I, and I think that Cumbie has really been the main guy. Yeah. Uh, especially when it comes to calling plays on Saturday, he's been the guy. For sure. Yeah. It falls so, on his shoulders, and and. Yeah. Just like for good or for bad. I mean, for the last two years, we've had co-offensive coordinators. Over the last three years, but who got most of the blame when things were going wrong? Yeah, it was Meacham, not Cumby. Yeah, Meacham's the play caller on Saturdays. Now it's Cumby, and so now it's it's all going to fall on him. Uh, generally speaking, football practices in summer, plays in the fall, recruits in the winter, and prepares in the spring. So when do coaches take a vacation? In May. That's when Gary goes on his African safaris. Mm-hmm. Right after school gets out. Yeah. In the, sl- in the period. slow yeah. period of, of recruiting, after National Signing Day, after spring ball, and there's that lull in yeah, May, June yeah. before kids get on campus if they're uh, taking summer classes and starting to work out again. And yeah. even then, you can only have so much contact yeah. if you're a head coach. So, yeah, early summer, late spring. May. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see another question here. We've already entered the coaching carousel season. Any word if TCU will be saying hello or goodbye to anyone? I don't think so. I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, nothing yet. If Cumbie had had a better year, I think I always worry about Looper Looper's going the guy somewhere I worry else. About, yeah. Um, defensively, I don't think any of those coaches have yeah. enough of a. Of, of a resume. Well, yet. and I think the guy that you'd be looking at as being a target from other schools Glasgow. is Darnell Fitch. Z? As, I mean, as a DC, maybe, but oh, well, he's he's a, not a he's an A plus recruiter. So, like a small school, like an SMU, a UNT, they'd come calling, but he's not leaving TCU. It's home. Yeah, I think the one you'd have to worry about is Chad Glasgow. Yeah, you know, he's but already he's, spread his wings. But once. he's seen what what that's like. Yeah, but he was back. at Texas Tech. Like, if yeah. you put him in a competent school, like that already has some talent on the defensive side of the ball, I think he could do some good things. Yeah, but I, but I think he did. And I think he, he hurt of, his if reputation. He was, if he was out of the Big 12. Like, if he ended up being the defensive coordinator for Kevin Sumlin at Oregon. Maybe. Yeah. Like, I think that'd be fine for him. That's yeah. a team that can recruit elite speed that would work in the 4-2-5. Sure. Sure. And he knows the 4 5 yeah. almost as well as Patterson Absolutely. does. He's a brilliant coach. Yeah. Uh, he just got screwed over by his situation over in, in Tech in Lubbock. Uh, last question from face or from the uh, thread on the site. When will the Big 12 be meeting again for possible policy rules expansion questions? Uh, that typically happens after uh, after the like yeah, ac- after the athletic season ends, which yeah. is like June yeah. of 2018, right before media days. Before yeah. football usually, yeah. So uh, not until summer. Yeah. We've got a couple um, of Twitter questions as well. Some yeah. Good Twitter questions. So Marcus wants to know which player will make the biggest difference next year. I don't know what sport he's talking about. I'm assuming that he's talking about football, yeah. and I'm going to say Omar Manning. Omar Manning's a good one. I mean, I'm, I'm going to take the easy road out and say Sean Robinson. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think both of those are kind of obvious answers. Yeah. Defensively, I think it's more of a crapshoot. I think you could say someone like – Corey Bethley, yeah. who started off really strong in non-conference play and then was really more of a rotation guy at the end. I think you see him step up into a Ross Blacklock role I'm next going, year. I'm going with my pick to click from the beginning of the year, who I think played big but is a chance to be a star next year, and that's Ennis Gaines. Nice. I think Ennis Gaines is going to be the guy in the secondary next year. I and like Jeff it. Gladney's another one, too, that I think is going to get that become a household name. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Uh, and then our friend Yell MK 
If you were going to ask Santa for yo for one TCU-related thing this year, what would it be? A big win over Stanford, a strong close to recruiting, an official ban of the fade, and or the wild frog on third down, or something else. Like this calendar year or this school year? Um, let's say this this year, between now and Christmas. So it has to happen by the end of the calendar year. I would like the best recruiting class possible to sign. Yeah. I think that sets you up long-term. I think the team is going to beat Stanford anyways, so I don't feel like I need to wish for that. I'm going to wish for a really awesome recruiting class. Yeah. Go ahead and wrap up Jamar Chase and or Terrace Marshall for me. Saying. And And I'll like, be good to Jamar go. Get Jamar in here. Jamar is like the second coming of Des Bryant. That kid yeah. is a freak. Yeah. He's a total freak. I want him. Yeah. I want him catching passes. In I, you know, life. I'll tell you what I'd like in this. And, and I would love Jamar Chase or Terrace Marshall or both. But what I'd really like us to, to do is every, there's always one guy – that we don't hear a lot about, that doesn't seem TC's pursuing that hard, but that Gary's kept it really, really quiet on. Mm-hmm. And I'm really wanting it to be one of those big-name defensive guys that's still kind of keeping us on his list but isn't talking about it. And with all the coaching upheaval, with all the changes. Keandre Coburn? Uh, probably be the one. Yeah. Yeah. Be so, pretty sweet. Yeah. So, so I think that that's kind of what I want is I want, instead of a secret that no one's ever heard of, I want the guy that everyone's been talking about that nobody knew was coming to TCU to sign and surprise everybody. Yeah. That's the guy I want. I agree with that. I would like that. We need. I, I want a defensive amount. superstar. Can we talk about what we want for the rest of the school year, too? Yeah. I just want a College World Series title. I want to get there and finish the job. I don't know that this is the year it's going to happen. I know, but... It's going to be a good team, but I don't think it's the year it's going to happen. I think they're still going to get to the Supers. Yeah. No, like, I think you're right. I, I, I mean, this team is going to be unstoppable at home still. Yeah. Look at the rotation that they're going to have. Yeah, they were. Oh, and man, yeah. Lodolo could come out and kick for TCU football right now. The dude kicked a, fo- a 40-yarder in the indoor facility last week. Yeah. He's legit. And I saw him supporting TCU at the Big 12 Championship. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Nick. Good job. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I would. Uh, I mean, can we get greedy? Sure. I'd like to go to the Sweet 16. Okay. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. I don't either. You get set up well in the in the tournament. You can make a little run. You make, make a run. little noise. Win three games. Get there real quick. Hang a banner. I'd be fine with And it with starts that. with beating Kansas by five in Janu- January. January 6th. Here, I'm taking your suggestions on the bet. Please don't make me eat a t-shirt. I'm not make doing him, that. Make her do I'm, the one-chip challenge. I will do that. All right. Are you buying <laughs> no, we might not, have to do a, we have to do a GoFundMe. Do a fundraiser. Yeah. This $80 chips or whatever they are. <laughs> Come on by the pub, drop a dollar in the jar, help us buy a one-chip challenge. That's ridiculous. All right, well, we've been here far too long. It's it, it's like an hour and a half episode. That's fine. People got time. There's time. You got commutes multiple yeah. days a week. It's all this good. This is fine. Everything is fine. Um, but yeah, this has been the Frogs of War podcast. We're here every Wednesday night at the University Pub at 8 p.m. Uh, next week there will be another pint night. Come out, have a beer, listen to the podcast, talk to us after. We like talking to you, hanging out, all that good stuff. Um, we'll be back yeah. here next week. Yes. And you talking can find us. Talking a lot us, of hoops. Yeah, talking a lot of shooty hoops next week and talking a lot of recruiting the week after. Uh, so you want to get out here and join us, that'd be awesome. If you could do us a huge favor, go to iTunes. Find Frogs of War podcast on iTunes. Subscribe. Download the episodes. Leave us a five-star review. Please. And then write us words for a review. It helps out tremendously with iTunes algorithm for boosting us up the lists of podcasts, getting us in more ears, which makes us happier, 
um, because we like uh, people listening to our stuff. Um, we would be really, really appreciative of that. You can also find us on Podbean. You can subscribe to us there. You can find us a lot of places where podcasts exist. So just find us somewhere and listen to our dulcet tones. Preach it. Yeah. But anyways, this is the Frogs War Podcast. I am Jamie Plunkett. I am Melissa Treewasser. And we'll talk to you next week. Go, Go Frogs. Frogs.